Thank you so much. Wow, it really is a joy and privilege to be here, and I am completely honored to be a part of the Camelback Church journey. You know, um, one of the things that I love the most about being here is that, that I love your pastors. I have a deep affection for them. And what I think I love the most about them is, is how much they love you. You know, we were walking around, they were showing me around the church the other day, and every room that we walked into, they told me a story about you, what God is doing in you, and how he's working through you. People like Carlos, and Carlos, and Rosanna, and just story after story. And I hope that you know just how blessed you are to have pastors that, that love you, and they're championing the God call on your life. Would you just give it up for your pastors? They're amazing. And the other thing that I love about this church is that I see such a generational strength. You know, it's just been amazing to see Wes up here leading worship. I've, I've known him since he was three years old and, and Julia and Jordan just echoing God's voice over their generation. And, and, then, um, and then Danny and Tara just, just stepping up. There, there is so much strength in the next generation here. And what I want you to know is this is something really, really special. I really believe that God is raising up a generation of world changers that are going to echo his voice of hope over his generation that has lost hope. And I believe that he's using Camelback Church to raise up that generation. In the book of Acts, there's a verse that says, in these days that, that God's going to pour out his spirit and his sons and his daughters are going to prophesy. And that word prophesy just means that they're going to echo God's voice. And I believe that, that the future is bright for Camelback Church, and your best days are ahead because you are investing in the next generation. And I am just so honored to be a part of this family. I feel like family, and so I just want to share a little bit about my family. I think I've got a picture of them up there. Um, my husband, Todd, we were seventh grade sweethearts. We met in a church youth group, so if you're a student in the house, take a look around. You never know who you might be sitting next to. But Todd and I dated on and off all the way through high school and college, and, and he always says that it was more on than off, but I have the mic, and I'm going to tell you it was definitely more off than on. But we have been on for the last 32 years. We've been married, and we've been planted in the same church that entire time. And so this is our son, Jefferson, and he was our miracle baby, and he's not a baby anymore, but he is still a walking miracle, and I got to share that story with the sisterhood the other night, and he's a, a junior at Southeastern University studying to be a worship leader, and three weeks ago, he asked the love of his life, Cassie, to be his bride. And so I got the answer to my prayer, and I'm going to have a daughter. So it's been a pretty exciting season in the Mullins family over these last couple months. And, and we're just so excited about what God has in store. And, and you know, um, Todd and I, as James said, we're the senior pastors of Christ Fellowship Church. And, and he talked about, you know, what it is today. But it wasn't always a big church. As a matter of fact, when Todd and I first got married, the church was about 70 people strong, and we were meeting in a school cafeteria, and, and Todd was the youth pastor, and the worship pastor, and the church secretary, and the chief car washer, and the janitor, all at the same time, and he made about $100 a week, which meant that I 
was a school teacher because somebody had to pay the bills, right? And so during that season, I would affectionately call myself his sugar mama. And I said, you are a very kept man, you know, as, as a pastor. And so, so I, I made the money, but hey, we didn't have much money. We didn't have two nickels to rub together in that season. But, but one birthday, Todd decided that, that he was going to, um, to buy me and surprise me with tickets to a local performing arts center that had just opened up. And we had never been to the theater before, and, and Les Miserables was coming into town, and I was so excited about this gift. And, and so the night finally arrived, and, and we got to the theater, and we had our tickets in hand, and, and we headed straight for the doors, heading into the theaters. And we got to the door, and the guy at the door said, I'm sorry, you need to go up a level. And so Todd and I went up a level, and we get to that door, and the guy says, I'm sorry, you need to go up one more level. So we went up another level, and another level, and another level, until we finally reached the second to the last row on the balcony of this, of this performing arts center. And I looked around, and there were actually people who had binoculars in their hands, because they knew that they needed binoculars to see what was happening on the stage. But we didn't care, because we were at the theater. And so as the, as the little people that looked about the size of peanuts began to sing, and we couldn't even tell if they were men or women, but it didn't matter because we were enjoying every single minute of it. We were at the theater. And at the end of the night, we thought that we had experienced everything there was to experience about being at the theater. Until two years later, some friends of ours that were not pastors and they were not teachers, they invited us to New York City. And they invited us to, to go see The Lion King on Broadway. And when we got there, they surprised us by getting us front row seats. I mean, literally, they were the best seats in the house. I could actually see the expressions on Nala and Simba's face. You know, I remember that, that as Simba and Mufasa were coming down the side aisles, I could actually reach out and touch them. I felt like I was part of the show. It was amazing. I had no idea what I had been missing. You know, how many of you know that the experience that you get when you're in the best seats of the house is far different than the experience that you get when you're up in the cheap seats in the balcony, right? We know that. But what I believe is that when it comes to our experience with God and our relationship with him, I really believe that God has so much for us. He has this abundant, full, extraordinary life that he wants to give us. But so many times, so many times we settle for the cheap seats up in the balcony and we're watching from a distance and we're wondering why that we're missing out on all the action. You know, the truth is that when it comes to our experience with God, we actually get to choose our seat. We get to choose if we're going to be up in the nosebleed section, watching from a distance and dealing with all the distractions, or if we're going to get up close, get in the front row seat and lean in and experience all that God has for us. And I believe that we get to choose our seat. And the seat that we choose is going to determine the experience that we have. In our relationship with Jesus, the seat that we choose will, experience, will, will determine the experience that we have. So if you're taking notes, the title of my message today is Don't Settle for the Cheap Seats. Don't settle for the cheap seats. And we're going to be digging into a story today, and it's in the Old Testament. And it's about a girl that, that got her front row seat. Somebody didn't save this seat for her. She, she, this seat wasn't given to her. 
She chose her seat and she did not settle for the cheap seats. See, it's the story of Ruth and the story of Ruth is found in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but we're going to have the scriptures up on the screen here. But just a little bit of background on this story. And in Ruth chapter one, there was a, a man named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and they were Israelites and they were living in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem translated in the Hebrew means the house of bread. And this was because this was the place that God was providing provisions for his people. And because of a temporary famine that came into the land, Elimelech decides to move his family away from Bethlehem, away from the place where God was providing, away from God's people, and he moves them into Moab, which was actually moving them into enemy territory. See, the Moabites were, were brutal people who worshiped many gods, and Moab was a land that was void of God's presence, and it was void of God's people. But he moved his family away, and I didn't have time to preach the message to the parents in the house today, to tell you how important it is to keep your kids in the place where God's presence and into the place where God's people are. I don't have time to preach that message, but the decisions that you make today will determine the stories that you will tell tomorrow about your kids. And I don't have time to preach that message. Maybe someday I can come back, but I gotta get on with this message. So they lived there for about 10 years. And in that 10 years, um, Naomi's sons married Moabite women named Ruth and Orpah. But tragically, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, and her two sons tragically died, and, she, and, and it left Naomi destitute and penniless. And so she didn't know what to do, and so she decided that she was going to go back to Bethlehem, back to her homeland. And her daughters-in-law decide that they're going to go with her. And so just picture the scene. This is the, the, these three widows getting ready to make the seven-day journey through the desert on this hot, dusty road. They begin to make the journey, and somewhere along the road, Naomi has this epiphany, and she realizes that she has nothing to offer these girls. She has no future to give them because she has no idea what's waiting for her in Bethlehem. She doesn't even know if they'll remember her there. And so she begins to plead with these girls. She says, go back, go back to Moab. Go back to your own people. And so they're hugging, and they're clinging to each other, and they're crying, but Orpah finally gets the hint, and she goes back to Moab, back to her people. But, but Ruth, she clings to Naomi, and it says in, in chapter 1, verse 15, it says this, that, that Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law, she's going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And see, what Ruth was doing this, this, um, at this time is she was, she was making a declaration and this declaration would change her destiny. She was making a commitment. She said, Naomi, I am committed to you. I am with you. No longer will you have to worry about if you're going to be alone or go hungry. I've got you. I am your person. And not only am I your person, but your people, they're my people. And I am committed to learn everything that I need to learn to become a part of this family that you're a part of. And this last commitment that she made was really the point of no return because she knew as soon as she turned her back on the gods of Moab, that she would be disowned by her family and she would never be able to return. But she said, Naomi, your God, the one true God, Yahweh, will be my God. And this declaration, 
This declaration, these commitments, they marked every step of Ruth's journey from that day forward. And what I want you to know today is that the commitments that you make today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. Your life and your future are determined by the commitments that we make and the steps that we take to live out those commitments. And that's exactly what Ruth did. Ruth and, and Naomi, they, they began to make their, their journey back to Bethlehem. It was a seven-day journey through the hot desert, crossing the Jordan River, up a mountain 2,000 feet to the city of Bethlehem, and they finally arrived. And when they got there, I don't have time to read the whole story, but, but Naomi, she was bitter, she was bankrupt, she had lost everything, and she was blaming God. And I want you to know, she was not a real blast to be around. So if you think you have mother-in-law problems, you need to read the book of Ruth and you're going to feel a lot better about your situation. Because Naomi was pretty angry, but, but Ruth, she stuck it out. She, even through tough times, she stayed with and she cared for Naomi. And it says in the end of chapter one that it says that they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And I love that verse, and it seems a little bit obscure, but the truth is what it's saying is that they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest season. See, God had a new season waiting for Ruth and Naomi in Bethlehem. And I don't know what you've been through in this past season, but I want you to know that God wants to take you into a new season. But you need to know something about new seasons. New seasons that you step into don't always look like or feel like you're in a new season. Because Ruth's first step into this new season was into a barley field where she worked long hours every single day and, and she would go behind the harvesters as, as, as they were harvesting the barley and she was just there to pick up the scraps. It was kind of like the equivalent of being a dumpster diver in this day, but she was, she was picking up the scraps, the scraps in the hot, scorching sun, but she was faithful and she showed up every single day. And this is what her new season looked like. But God honored her faithfulness. And it says that, that in verse, chapter 2, verse 3, it says that as it turned out, she was working in the field of belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out. Another version says, it just so happened. And what I want you to know is that God doesn't work in coincidences, right? He, he, this didn't just happen. See, God was ordering Ruth's steps every step of the way. And God's provision always flows in the pathway of his purpose. God's provision always flows in the pathway of his purpose. See, when you're going God's way, I want you to know that he is always working behind the scenes. He's working things for your good. You know, that job that, that you lost, I want you to know it just so happens that God is preparing a place for you where you're going to be able to live out your potential and your purpose. That, that breakup and that relationship that left you heartbroken, I want you to know that God's working behind the scenes. And what you feel like is a punishment is for your protection. It doesn't matter what situation you're going through, what problem you have. It might be a financial problem, a relationship problem, a, a, um, a health problem. Whatever problem you have, when you're on the pathway of his purpose, God is always working behind the scenes so that he can take you into a new season that he has for you. See, Ruth decided to stay close to God and stay close to God's people. And God had exactly what she needed waiting for her in that field. 
See, the scripture goes on to say that, that she caught the eye of Boaz. And he was like, what's up, girl? And then he goes to the guys. And he's like, hey, guys, make sure that you leave a little bit of extra barley behind for the hot girl over there. And she's, she goes home with this big old, you know, armloads of barley. She walks to the doors and Naomi's like, what in the world? Where did you get all that barley? And she's like, well... There's this guy named Boaz, and I think he's kind of checking me out. And so she's like, hey, I know that Boaz, and he's a really great catch. And so she begins to concoct this plan. She begins to concoct this plan for Ruth to win the heart of Boaz. And I don't have time to read the whole story. I mean, it's a little bit scandalous, but I am telling you, I'm telling you that it is better than any Final Rose episode of The Bachelor that you have ever seen. And it worked. So Ruth gets the final rose, and Boaz asks Ruth to marry him, and they get married, and they begin their life together in wedded bliss. See, when Ruth made that commitment, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, she was actually putting herself in position to receive what God had for her. She was actually choosing her seat. She was saying, I'm staying right here. She chose her seat and she got up close and she said, Naomi, I don't know what the future holds, but I know that I'm staying right here. Where you go, I'm going. Where you stay, I'll stay. I am choosing the best seat in the house. And see, when she chose the best seat in the house, it kept her focused on the things that mattered most. It kept her focused on God, God's people, and Naomi. And those were the things that mattered most. And when she was focused on what mattered most, God brought her everything that she needed. And this is what I want you to hear is that the best seat in the house, it will keep you focused on what matters most. And when you are focused on what matters most, God will bring you everything that you need. And so when I think about it, when you think about this place, God's church, it's actually the only place that you will probably go this week that is completely dedicated and exists to help you stay focused on what matters most. This is the only place like it, any place. It's completely focused on helping you to stay focused on what matters most, your relationship with God and your relationship with the people that God wants to bring into your life. So that's why it's, it's so important what you're doing right here, right now. And yet so many things are, are competing for our time and for our attention so many things are competing for our time and our attention, and, and so many things can distract us from making this place a priority place in our lives. See, and, and I get it, because all of us have really, really busy lives. You know, you have busy work schedules, and, and you've got sporting events for your kids you have to go to, and at the end of a really hard week, sometimes you just want to relax and, and have a good time. And see, none of those things I just mentioned are bad things. They're actually good things because God wants you to work hard and he wants you to love life. But it's so easy if we're not careful that, that these things can begin to distract us, distract us from the things that matter most. And we begin to, when we get, we, the, the problem with getting distracted is that when we begin to get distracted, we begin to drift. So we begin to walk away 
from the front row seat that God has for us. And when we drift, we start down a path that's going to lead to a different destination. See, so many people that I know that are not living for God right now, it's not because they walked away from the church and walked away from God. It's not because they ran away. It's because they drifted away. And drift will never take you to the destiny that God has for you. And see, John 10.10, it talks about the fact that we have an enemy that wants to rob and kill and destroy. He is a thief, and he will use distraction to rob you from the potential that God has put within you. See, God created this place, his church, to be the place where you could grow in the word. And then you could grow in relationships with people that would help you to live out the word of God. It's the place that, that he created that you would be able to discover your purpose and discover why in the world that you're even in this world and, and discover the, the gifts and the abilities that he has put within you. See, there is no other place like this place. This is the place that he wants you to plant your life so that you can reach your full kingdom potential. See, God's word goes to great lengths to paint a picture of what, of what his church is supposed to look like. And he goes through great lengths to, to paint a picture of the value that he places on this place and the, and the place that, that he wants you to take in this place. See, Ephesians chapter 2, it, it talks about that his church is a family. It says, you are no longer wandering exiles. You, this kingdom of faith is now your home country. You belong here with just as much a right to the name Christian as anyone. And God is using you in what he is building. See, he is building a home, which makes us a family. And Ephesians 2 talks about the church being God's family. And I love that imagery of family. It just, it just portrays so many things. But one of the things I love about family the most is when you're in family, you actually have borrowing rights, right? You can, you can borrow things from each other when you're in the same family. And I know um, several weeks ago, we showed up at church and Todd and I were sitting on the front row and, and our son Jefferson got up to lead worship and Todd leaned over to me and he's like, why does Jefferson have my brand new shoes on? The shoes that you just bought me for my birthday. And Jefferson knew that, hey, we're family, and, and what's mine is yours, what yours is mine. He just went in and took dad's shoes, right? And so he, Jefferson couldn't afford those shoes right now, but when you're in a family, you can borrow things that you don't yet have. And I love it because when you're in a family, you can, you can borrow insight from God's word. You get the full benefit of, of, of whenever you come into this place, when you hear a great message, you get to borrow that insight and take it with you. You get to borrow wisdom. Students, you get to borrow from wisdom from mentors that are here. You know, you don't have to make the same mistakes that they do. You can go further faster because you're borrowing their wisdom. And I think the thing that I love the most about being a part of a family that, that can borrow things is that, that we can borrow faith from each other. You know, all of us have times when, when our faith runs a little bit low. You know, when we've been praying for something for so long and, and we're not even sure if God's hearing our prayers anymore or when our heart is breaking and we don't have the strength to pray anymore. And that's when we can come to God's family. We can borrow each other's faith. We like to say at Christ Fellowship that I can believe for you what you don't even know that you can believe for yourself. See, when you're in God's family, you can be a faith borrower and then you can be a faith lender. And I love that, that that's what family is all about. But there's another image in, in God's word, and that is in Romans and Corinthians. It talks about the fact that we are Christ's body, that we have a function as his body, and we each have a part that we play in the body. 
And you know, several years ago, I was in a, um, in a mountain biking accident, and I broke my shoulder. I had a concussion. I, 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 I crushed several ribs. And, and in the days that followed, I was recovering from that, and I was, I was on some pretty heavy-duty pain medication. And I thought that my thoughts and my conversations were totally rational, but everyone around me knew differently. And so I was also very emotional because I was very thankful to be alive. And so one day, Todd and I are driving in the car, and I had tears streaming down my face. And he looked over at me, and he's like, babe, what's wrong? Are you okay? And, you know, because I'd been experiencing a lot of pain, especially in my ribs. And, and so he's like, babe, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. I just, I just love my ribs. And he was like, are you crazy? He looked at me like I was crazy. But in that moment, I had like this epiphany. And it was that, that my ribs during the accident, they actually protected my internal organs. And had they not been there, I would have died. They, my ribs actually saved my life. See, our bodies are amazing. And there are actual parts of our bodies that God put there that are just there to protect other parts of your body. And that's exactly what the ribs are there. They're totally there just to protect our internal organs. And what I want you to hear is that it's the same in Christ's body. See, there are parts of this body that are here just to protect other parts of the body. See, when you are in a group and, and you're in a group where, where, you're, where, where you're growing in your faith and, and you're in, in groups with accountability where people are calling you up to keep the commitments that you make, your marriage is going to be protected. Your kids are going to be protected when they have leaders and mentors echoing God's voice and echoing your voice over them. See, the body is a place of protection. And when you stay connected to God's body, it also puts you in a position for future blessings. See, in the story of Ruth, her blessing didn't stop on the wedding day. It would have been amazing if that's where the story ended, but God had more, and he always has more. It says that after she marries Boaz in chapter 4, the blessings just kept coming, and she had a son. See, then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Wait a minute. Naomi had a son? I mean, was she just being like an overbearing mother-in-law or something? But no. See, Ruth's blessing was Naomi's blessing. They were a part of each other's story. See, Naomi's life was blessed and better because of Ruth. And that's what happens when we're a part of a bigger story that God is writing in his family and in his body, that we get to be a part of a bigger story. And see, the blessings, there are blessings that we get in on because we're in the right place at the right time. See, the best seat in the house, the best seat in the house is next to people that are going to make you better. The best seat in the house is next to people that are going to make you better. See, a while back when Jefferson was little, we used to love to go to SeaWorld. And the front row seat at SeaWorld in the Shamu show had a, a very special name. And it was the Splash Zone. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Splash Zone, but what that meant was that, you know, during the show, what was happening in the show would get on you, and then you would walk around that day looking like a wet rat, and everybody knew where you had been. But I didn't want to be a loser parent, so I always made sure that I was sitting with Jefferson in the Splash Zone. And sometimes I, I think about, you know, the fact that church is kind of like the Splash Zone. It's when 
what's happening gets on you and you walk away looking different for the rest of the week. You know, you think about the splash zone when Pastor James is, shares a powerful word and you, you're like, man, that word, it was just for me. Well, you didn't work 30 hours that week for that word. You couldn't, you had to go to work. But Pastor James worked 30 hours that week for that word and you got the full benefit because you were in the splash zone. And some of you, you know, you, you love to worship and you come in here and Wes is leading worship and it's so anointed and you're so blessed and, and you're, just, you're just loving the worship and, and you know that that worship isn't that great when you're in the car by yourself because you don't sing that good, right? But you're here and you're in the splash zone. And I think being in a group, being in a group in a community where, where people can encourage, you know, the, there's, a, there's a, a, a verse that says that, that we need to find ways to encourage each other. That means to give courage to each other. When you're in a group of community, that's like the ultimate splash zone. My definition of the splash zone is this. It's that when what is happening around us gets on us and blesses us beyond anything that we deserve. And I love that because that's what church is. It's like the ultimate splash zone. See, that's what happened to, to Ruth and Naomi. Think about it in this story. Without Naomi, Ruth would have never met Boaz. And without Ruth, Naomi would have died bitter and broken with no legacy. And without Ruth and Naomi, Boaz would have never had a son named Obed, who was the grandfather of King David. See, we're created as unique individuals, but we're created to be a part of each other's story. And that, that, other, that, that story is really the God story that God is writing on his people. See, just like God had Boaz waiting in the field for Ruth, God has people waiting for you in this place. God has people waiting for you in this place, and he wants us to be a part of each, each other's stories. You know, Ruth had no idea when she made that commitment that day, that decision to follow Naomi, that her destiny would change. I mean, think back at the beginning of the story. She had no idea what was going to lie ahead. She not only found her husband and God's people, but she became the great, great grandma of King David, who was also the David that killed Goliath. And out of the lineage of David, the Messiah was born. And what I love is that, is that Ruth was a, she was a, she was a foreigner. She was a widow from a pagan worshiping country, and God used her to become the great, 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 and a couple other greats, grandmother of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? See, God can redeem every story when we stay on the pathway of his purpose. And I love this. I love this because, because she was a part of a bigger story, a God-sized story. She was, she was probably thinking to herself, how did I get here? You know, why me? And I have to ask myself, why Ruth? You know, she wasn't from the, the, the right family. She wasn't part of the in crowd. There were a lot of girls in the field that Boaz could have chosen that day. And see, Ruth actually asked Boaz about this in chapter two. She says this, why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
See, Boaz was honoring the commitments that Ruth made on that dusty road that day. See, Ruth made that commitment to to be committed to Naomi, to be committed to God and his people. She made that commitment and she kept her commitment. She stayed in her seat even when it wasn't easy or convenient. See, what I want you to hear is that the best seat in the house will cost you. The best seat in the house is gonna cost you something. And that cost might be a little bit of inconvenience, but most of all, that cost is commitment. See, I really think that in a great church like this, you know, that it's really easy to feel connected in the body here. But there's a big difference between connection and commitment. See, you know, you can feel connected up in the balcony in the cheap seats because you're looking down at the peanut people, you know, living below. And you're saying, you know, hey, look at those student leaders over there. Wow, they're investing in the next generation. God bless them. And wow, I, I love the, the people that, are, that actually are tithing 10% to make sure that the vision and the heartbeat go forward with strength. Wow, go team. And, and look at those groups over there. They look like they're really growing in their relationship with God. You know, I just love being connected to a church like this. But I want you to hear is that connection isn't going to cut it. It's not enough to be connected. Remember Orpah? Probably not. Because Orpah was actually connected to Naomi. She was just as much the daughter-in-law of Naomi as Ruth was. But Orpah, she moved her feet and she lost her seat. And we never heard from her again. See, Orpah settled for the cheap seats. And I wonder sometimes if, if there was supposed to be a book of Orpah, right? I wonder all of what Orpah missed out on because she settled for the cheap seats. See, if you settle for the cheap seats, you're gonna miss out on the story that God is wanting to write on your life. See, God wants to bless you in your relationships. He wants to bless you in your business. He wants to, to increase your capacity so that you can step into all that he has for you. But that won't happen from a distance. So I have a word for you. I came all the way from South Florida because I have a word for you. It's time to upgrade your seat. It's time for all of us to upgrade our seat so that we don't settle for the cheap seats. So we upgrade our seats. We're actually positioning ourselves for God to move in our lives and we're entering into the splash zone. So I have a question for you. What commitment do you need to make? What commitment do you need to make to upgrade your seat and step into all that God has for you. So that you can, I put, that was supposed to be, you know what? Not clean your front row seat. Sorry about that. My Siri mistake, I sent this last point this morning by Siri. What commitment do you need to make to claim your front row seat? What commitment do you need to make? You know, many of you, you just made to, you need to make the commitment that I'm gonna show up week after week after week not just because of what God has waiting for me, but I know that there are going to be people that are going to be waiting, that, that they don't even know that you're going to be waiting for them. And you just need to be here every week showing up. Some of you, you need to step up and, and get into a group. We've been talking about it for a long time, but you know it's time. I know I need to step up and, and be a part of life-giving community. But for some of you, you're already committed and you've made that commitment. And now what, what God is saying is that, that it's time to take a step up in your commitment, right? You, you've been hearing your pastors talk about the journey. 
And you're probably thinking, wow, I've been at this church for a really long time, and, and I know the history and the heartbeat of our church. And, and what I want to tell you is that, that God is wanting to take Camelback Church into a new season. And there are going to be people walking through these doors, and they don't even know, they don't even know what they're going to find here. But they're going to find you waiting in the field, just as Ruth found Boaz waiting in the field. They're going to find you waiting in the field, and, and you're going to be able to help them on their journey. You're going to be able to be a part of somebody else's story. So maybe the step up in your commitment is that, that you're going to make sure that you go through the journey so that you can be counted on for the people that are going to walk through the doors. And I don't know what, what your commitment is, but I just want you to think about that as, as you go this week, because this is what I know. This is what I know is that your destiny will be determined by the commitments that you make and the steps that you take. Your destiny will be determined by the commitments that you make and the steps that you take in faithfulness to live out those commitments. And I know that I can speak for your pastors is that we don't want you to miss anything that God has for you in this next season. So don't settle for the cheap seats. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you that, that you, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you're always about writing new stories. And, and God, I just, I have to think that many times if we want to see things we've never seen before, that we need to do some things we've never done before. And sometimes it just means raising our level of commitment to you and to your family. And God, I just pray that you would begin to seal the commitments that are being made today to the hearts of your people. And I pray, God, that you would use the seeds that have been planted today to produce a flourishing season in the days ahead. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your greatness. And, and we just love being a part of the family that you've called us to. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you, church. Stand with me this morning. Julie, thank you so much. Church, uh, it's so easy to hear a message like this where God has clearly spoken to many of our hearts and to hear a challenge that you heard this morning and ladies, that you, even another challenge you heard Friday night. It's so easy to hear that and to leave here and over the course of even just the next few hours or the next few days, let that message drift out of our thought process. Let it leak out of our lives. Could I challenge you, could I encourage you to hear what Julie said this morning? And even, ladies, some of the things that you heard Friday night, and allow God to let those truths take root in your heart and be willing to allow him to change you. He takes us where we are, and he loves us so much that he's so intentional about changing. And you have heard just a wonderful message from the heart of God this morning in a wonderful way. And as a church family, can I say, let's really lean into that. Let's, let's take the next steps to allow him to produce change in our lives that we know 
is so needed in our lives because he's got a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives that he has so intentionally placed everything we need. Like Julie said, he's placed them right there for us. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can do that right now. There's nothing hard about it. We sometimes can make it difficult. But it's as simple as believing that Jesus is who he said he was and is who he says that he is. Recognizing that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins because it's a broken world and we need a Savior. Just, just believing that takes us from one place spiritually to another place spiritually. It takes us from being really spiritually dead to being totally spiritually alive. And you can accept that gift of salvation even as we close just by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for your sins and for my sins. And they, they crucified him, placed him in a tomb. And on the third day, we're going to celebrate in just a couple of weeks, he rose from the dead. And that changed everything for all of us. And maybe you're distant from Christ and you need to move closer. You need to do exactly what Julie was talking about. It's a great opportunity to do that. And let's, let's bow our heads together. Let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. As a matter of fact, if you've, liked, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you would like to do that simply by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, He died for your sins as my sins, and He rose from the dead, just simply put your hand right up and put it right back down. I just want to pray for you this morning. Yes, yes, yes. Father, thank you so much for this weekend, for your blessings on the heart and life of our church. And for the hands that went up this morning here, those who accepted you as their Savior, that are now a part of our family, one of your children. God, we pray your continued blessing on their lives as, as they move forward in their, in their relationship with you. And to our church family, Lord, and what we've heard this morning and this entire weekend. Lord, I pray that you cultivate it in our lives as we embrace your word. And we move forward in our relationship with you and our relationship with each other. Do it, we ask, in your precious and your holy name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. Our prayer team's up here. We're going to be praying for you. Did you enjoy Julie this morning? You are a blessed people. God bless you guys.